there we go. So they're beginning to doubt who Jesus is. And the reason for this is they had begun to be persecuted in their faith. So the author is essentially writing to these individuals to demonstrate to them why Jesus is the best of the best. And he goes through a series of comparisons to how the uh, individuals functioned back in the Old Testament to show that by going back to the functions of the Old Testament, they're leaving all that Jesus has done. And so what he does is he starts off and he begins showing them that Jesus is better than the prophets, that he's better than Moses. He then goes in and talks about how he's better than the Old Testament system. He then warns the individuals about essentially not coming to faith in Christ, going through the motions, but not being someone who is engaged with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then we come to discover he uses an analogy with Moses, and he says the simplest way to look at this is that Moses was really a renter of a home, but Jesus is the builder and the owner of it. And we need to remember and recognize that because when we go forward and you're wanting to talk to somebody about a house, if you went to the individual and they're just renting it, all they would say is, hey, I'm just, I'm just here kind of taking care of this place. I'm using it for its benefits, but I have no authority to do anything about it. And so obviously, if you're wanting to look into that home, what would you do? You would then look for the owner, but then also the builder of it. Today, we're looking at this, and what happens after comparing briefly Jesus to Melchizedek, who was a great high priest, he then turns to a brief moment and pauses and gives warning to the individuals about what they are doing and how, if they are to essentially fall away, what that might mean. Now with that, I'm going to just ask a favor. Um, some of you might know, but Kelly is uh, actually with her family in North Carolina. So I'm kind of batching it with Noah. And so far, things are going well. Uh, we're here. We're dressed. Um, my shirt is on correctly. But I, I'm really embarrassed. Um, I didn't have time to have breakfast this morning. So is it, is it all right if I go ahead and just have a little bit of breakfast? I'm kind of famished. I, I need something to eat before we... So if it's okay, I'm going to have a, a little bit of breakfast, okay? Um, it's really nutritious, and it's really, really good. Um, I, I love this breakfast. It's kind of nutritious and, and milk, right? It does the body good. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> this is my breakfast. I can't even get it out of the straw. I'm trying to see how this thing works. <laughs> Do you like my cute rhinos on my Contigo cup, my sippy cup? What? Why are you laughing at me? You know what? brings up a question. It looks kind of silly that I'm up here drinking out of a Contigo cup, having milk. But I want to ask you a question. How many of us are doing that with our faith in Jesus Christ? The question that I want to ask this morning and what we're going to address is simply, are we growing in our faith with Christ? Have you ever taken the time to ask yourself if we are growing in our faith with Jesus? 
Are we simply going through the motions? Are we coming to church and just sitting and listening to someone give a message? Are we engaged maybe in a ministry, but we're not engaged in Jesus Christ? You see, the reality of what was going on with the individuals who were beginning to deny Christ was that they had never experienced Christ in and of themselves. They were beginning to say, hey, the idea of Jesus sounds great. I want to kind of move forward to it. But when hard things came, when life happened to them, they began to doubt who Jesus was and they began to turn back to the Old Testament system. And the author in the book of Hebrews is crying out to the people of God saying, don't turn back to what was because you have the best of the best in Jesus Christ. And in a moment, we're going to see him use an analogy that is exactly what we're speaking here. He essentially is saying, have you moved on from drinking milk to eating solid food? And we look and we laugh, and we laugh about this analogy where I come forward with a Contigo cup and drink out of milk. But my question to all of us, lovingly and honestly, is simply this. How many of us this morning are drinking milk out of a sippy cup when we should be eating solid food? Are we growing in our faith? How are we growing in our faith? What are we doing to grow in our faith? And the analogy that this author gives is a warning to us to be able to go back and examine our hearts and say, look, if we're not growing, if we're still essentially in this analogy infants, do we even know Jesus Christ at all? And that's what he's speaking to. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're looking at the latter part of chapter 5, verse 11. And we see he speaks to this after talking about Jesus being a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, validating him for his priestliness. And then he turns into this warning. Now, in a moment, we're going to speak to the great question. Can you be a true follower of Jesus Christ? and actually lose your salvation. This passage is one that brings that into question and has caused individuals great sort of concern or fear over, is it possible that I could be a believer in Jesus and lose my salvation? And what I will tell you is this. We're going to look at that, but I'm going to give a simple answer and then explain it later. And that is, read on. Do not read this passage in isolation. If you read the very next verses after it, it confirms that we cannot lose our salvation. But rather, what's being spoken about is the author is interjecting a warning to affirm and to bless those that are truly in Jesus Christ, which is a common theme that happens throughout the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament. But in that warning, it should cause all of us to ask a very simple question. Am I just going through the motions? Am I coming to church, hearing the word, having the seed scattered, having it essentially brought to me, but is my soil unprepared? And we'll see that analogy in this passage as well. 
Have we ever taken the time to ask ourselves if we're growing in our faith with Christ? Are we eating solid food? Where are we with Jesus? The author starts off and he says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not lay again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and then produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And so the question that we ask this morning of ourselves is simply this, where are we? with Jesus? Are we simply drinking milk? Are we going through the motions? Do we know him at all? Or have we moved on to solid food? Do we even desire solid food? One of the things we have to ask ourselves is simply this. It's one of these things to look at this bottle and to have a good laugh, but the question remains, are we simply just drinking out of a bottle, refusing to move forward onto solid food not to elevate ourselves above other people, but rather to know Christ more and to make him known to people that are around us. The church must ask a very simple question. Perhaps, perhaps the reason that people are turned off by the church is simply that they look at individuals who are looking around and walking around drinking out of a baby bottle when they should be eating solid food. And so lovingly, I want to ask you this question. Where are you in your faith? The author starts off with a warning, and the warning is simply to encourage the people to begin to think about where their hearts are. And so this morning, simply, I go before you and I say, where is your heart with God? He starts in these first couple of verses at the end of chapter 5, and the question that he's really asking is the following. Are we still drinking milk, or have we moved on to solid food?
he gives an analogy. And I think anyone who's listening to it would begin to say, you know, I need to think about this for a minute. Am I wanting to know more about Jesus? He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Now please hear me. One of the things that I want to encourage you in is if you're new to your faith in Jesus Christ, no one expects you to understand everything. We are constantly learning. I myself am constantly learning, and I will never plumb the depths of who God is. But the question that I must ask myself is, after coming to Christ and knowing Him and following Him for 20 or more years of my life, if I'm still drinking out of a baby bottle, have I really known Him at all? And so lovingly, what I want to ask you is simply this. For those of you that are in Christ, that have been walking with Christ, or think that you know Christ, are you drinking milk? Or are you able to eat solid food? In verse 13, the author says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Let that sink in for a minute. Anyone who lives on milk. Okay, let, let's, let's take this for a minute. Because some of you might be newer to Christ. So you might be thinking, well, yeah, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And milk is fine. Okay? There's nothing wrong in drinking milk when you are an infant in Christ. But if you have been with Christ, if you have known Christ, and I'm putting that in quotes, and you're still drinking milk like me right now something's terribly wrong the author says essentially this are you even acquainted with righteousness and then he transitions in verse 14 he says but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil and so think about this for a minute. Solid food is for the mature. How do you mature? You grow. You exercise. You learn. You study. One of the things that I'll tell you, and I'll just give this analogy, I love Noah right now, and he's a great guy. He's this little guy. He's got a heart of gold. Some of the things that he says are absolutely hilarious. And P.S., by the way, for any of you that gave him a dollar today, for, for uh, offering. I feel like Norm at Cheers, I'm just going to say, just put it on our tab. We'll, we'll pay later, right? But if 10 years go by, if 20 years go by, and Noah is still acting the way that he acts today as a 20 or 25-year-old, what would we say? And so lovingly, I'm going to ask you simply this. Where are you in your faith with Christ? Are you growing in Him? Do you desire to grow in Him? Do you want to eat solid food? And simply, if you have that heart and that desire, that's the very indicator indeed that God is with you. 
But if you're here and you're sitting and you're like, yeah, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just partaking, and we're going to see this, tasting the Holy Spirit. And that's a very important word in a minute that I'm going to speak to. Tasting the Holy Spirit. Being enlightened by the Word. The world is enlightened by the Word. The world knows that the Bible exists. Anyone, if they don't know Jesus Christ, can come into this church and sit in it, and they can taste a little bit of the Holy Spirit as the overflow of the Holy Spirit among true believers is present. But that doesn't mean that the deposit of the Holy Spirit is within them. So lovingly this morning I ask you, are you still drinking milk or have you moved on to solid food? And then what happens is after bringing out this analogy, sort of this warning to the people, the author then turns and he says, well let me just speak about what that needs to be what we need to move on from. And he uses the next three verses of the start of uh, chapter 6 to do so. He says, are you drinking milk or have you moved on to solid food? Because we need to move on from this. In verse 1 he says, therefore let us leave. Okay? Not, not let us hang out and forgive me, I know this is not popular. Let us not be seeker sensitive so that the people that are there don't get offended by the word let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ let's move on to the deeper teachings of Christ and grow on to maturity brothers and sisters in Christ one of the questions we need to ask each of and of ourselves is are we going on to maturity? Or are we comfortable coming forward, feeling good about ourselves, while all we do time and time and time again is come forward, and when we want to receive the word, we say, I don't want solid food. I don't want a good, healthy helping. I just want my milk. That's what we must ask ourselves. And so the author, in verses 1 through 3, simply says this, Are we willing to leave the elementary teaching about Christ and grow deeper in our faith? Do we want to move away from this? And then he says, okay, let me tell you what some of these elementary teachings are that we should all just know. It should be sort of within us and who we are. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. We should just know that in Christ we are called to repent. We are called to turn away from sin. We're not perfect. I'm not saying that none of us sin. We all do. But that should just be fundamental within the foundation of who we are and in the teachings of Jesus. Faith in God. Faith in Jesus Christ. It's not faith in yourself. Jesus doesn't exist to make you a better person. He doesn't exist to give you a better life. Those might be benefits that you have in coming to faith with Jesus. But Jesus exists because you are dead in your sin. And there are no possible means for you to get to God on your own. He went to the cross to save you. 
from eternal destruction. All of what we're due. Every single one of us. And by grace, through the free gift of, of, of Jesus and the mercy of God, when we are due the penalty of our sin, Jesus comes forward and says, I will do that for you so you no longer are owed that debt. Instruction about baptisms. The laying on of hands, it's interesting here, this is just talking about the speaking of the blessing to individuals. The resurrection of the dead. How many churches right now are struggling with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Sure, we believe in Jesus. Sure, we believe he was a good guy. Sure, we believe he was a great moral teacher. We'll even give you that perhaps he was maybe a God among gods. But the resurrection that Jesus actually rose from the grave, triumphing over sin and death, that when we die, we live. I don't know that that's a true teaching. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you ever hear that in a church, lovingly, I'm going to tell you, you should run, because that church is not Christian. And yet so often, people just look, and they want to just learn about milk. And then in verse 3, and God permitting, we will do so. We will do so. The author reaches out to God and says, as the Lord permits, we will do so. And so the question that I want to ask is, are you going to God and saying, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know more about you so that I can eat solid food and no longer drink milk. Are we willing to leave the elementary teachings about Christ and grow deeper in our faith? Or are we just wanting someone up here to massage your state to where you can feel good about yourself, tick off the box and say, great, I went to church today, so I'm okay. When we really don't know who Christ is. And then interesting enough, he moves into this challenging part of Scripture. Essentially, the next several verses are what are controversial in so many ways. And he says the following words, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, subjecting him to public disgrace. And then he uses essentially an analogy to describe what has been explained right here that individuals would understand. He says, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives a blessing of God. Now watch the contrast, okay? But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. 
And so the aspect that I want to see, I want to show you in this is this. Ask yourself this question, okay? Are we cultivating our soil in this analogy so that our roots grow deep in our faith with Christ? What are you doing to cultivate your soil? Because if we remember about the sower of seeds, we recognize the parable that Jesus gives. We realize that there is a sower of seeds who is scattering seeds to four different soils. And what we've come to recognize is, is that the seed is the word of God. The seed is good. But it's the soil upon which the seed lands that comes into question. And essentially Jesus is saying, what seed are you? Have you cultivated your soil so that when the word of God lands upon you, will it grow? And so lovingly today, what I want to ask you is this. What soil are you? Are you cultivating? Are you moving to maturity? Are you wanting to eat solid food? We get into this verse, and it's interesting because oftentimes it's been utilized to question, is it possible that someone who truly knows Jesus Christ, someone who has come to faith, who has the Holy Spirit within them, could fall away? And the answer is a resounding no. Let me explain. Through other verses in Scripture, we know that when we have the Holy Spirit within us, truly and holy, it says clearly that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in His kingdom. If the Holy Spirit is deposited within us, we will not fall away. So I don't want people being fearful of sitting there saying, my gosh, if I know Jesus... If I love him and I care about him, is there a means by which I could fall away? And then we get into this kind of explanation of things. And I want you to watch the words, okay? To help you to see that what the author is doing is he is issuing a warning to individuals who know Christ to help stir them forward to persevere in Christ, yet those who have fallen away never knew Christ in the first place. It is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, okay? It's interesting because a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, they, they tasted the heavenly gift, therefore they must have it, okay? Watch the word, the, the author could have said, who have eaten, digested, encompassed, devoured, but have tasted. Okay? Here's what I want to tell you some. All of us can taste something, right? We can, we can pick up a piece of food. We can put it to our tongue. We can see what it tastes like. But if we do not consume it, we have not actually utilized it for its nutrition. That's the analogy that's, that's being given. And so lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. How many of you are just coming in and tasting? Just, no, nah, nah, that's not for me. I don't like it, right? Even Noah, right? Okay. I don't want to eat my green beans. Just do me a favor. Take a taste of them. Well, if he doesn't eat the green bean, has he digested it? Is he getting the nutrition from it? 
And then it continues on. Who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Sometimes we say, wait a minute, that means they have the Holy Spirit within them. No. That's not what the author's saying at all. He does not say who have the Holy Spirit within or who have the deposit of the Holy Spirit within them. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They've participated just this morning, even this morning, right now. Those that have Christ in them have the Holy Spirit within them. They are sharing in the blessing of the Holy Spirit. But they do not have the Spirit in and of themselves. Who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. Notice he uses the same word again, tasted. Friends, I can, I can stand up here and I can preach the Word of God. I can give you the Word of God to the best of my ability, recognizing that I too am human, I am not perfect. But I can pray, I can study, I can give you God's Word through the aspect of expository preaching. And essentially the core in that is, is taking what the Word is saying and giving it to you at its core, rather than trying to come up with a concept and find Scripture to make it fit into. But at the end of the day, what I preach has to fall on your heart and your soil, which is ready to be cultivated to grow you to maturity. It's the simple thing of this. Like a physical trainer, we can go to the gym. I can show you all of the machines. I can show you how they work. I can tell you, you need to do X, Y, and Z to get stronger in your physicality. But if you're not willing to then go and do it, no matter how many machines there are, no matter how great my reputation as a physical trainer is, no matter how many times I tell you to do it, you're not going to grow. And so lovingly, but quite seriously, I'm asking you this. How many of you are exercising your faith outside of today? He then continues on, and he says, If they fall away, okay, this is verse 6, to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Very powerful words. But what the author is saying is simply this. If someone is sitting there and they're hearing about Jesus but they are not growing, essentially, I shouldn't even say growing, not receiving His word. They're just here. They're going through the motions. They're doing their thing. But it just continues to fall on uncultivated soil. Soil that is hard, it is dry, it is not ready to produce a crop over and over and over and over again. Ultimately, God is going to say that soil is not able to be cultivated and it should be burned. Moving to the analogy of the eternal fire. Now, here's the other thing to think about. He then says it would be 
a disgrace to Jesus because you would essentially cause Jesus to have to crucify himself all over again. The point that he's making is Christ died on the cross once and for all. The work is done. It is complete. There is no need for anybody else or a second act in order for you to come to faith in Jesus and to be saved. And so lovingly, what I want to ask you is this. How many, how many times have you fallen for the trap of thinking that, oh my gosh, right? I, I know Jesus, but I struggled with sin and, 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 and man, maybe, maybe I, I don't know him and so maybe I need to, to ask for my salvation again and, and, and maybe, maybe I just don't know, right? The enemy comes forward and he says, yeah, you know, maybe you're not saved. Maybe what Jesus did on the cross isn't good enough. Maybe Jesus needs to go back to the cross again. And the whole point to the argument of the author as he's traveled through these passages and will travel through, P.S. by the way, sermons are great, right? But the hard part about sermons is they've got to end because you would crucify me if I decided to go in and preach another 40 minutes about the following verses. That's next Sunday. But read on. Because just after this, he then goes through and he demonstrates the confidence that followers of Christ have in Jesus. And notice the words that the author chooses. Subjecting the Son of God all over again to public disgrace. It's not enough. Once isn't enough. Jesus went to the cross at once. And you're telling me that the work that he did isn't finished? So this is the analogy that he's giving. Really? Christ is going to do it again? No. You got one shot. He gave one, you get one. And that's this life. So lovingly, what I want to ask is this. Where are you with your faith and trust in Jesus? And then he goes in and he says, okay, so that people will understand. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it and produces a crop, is useful to those for whom it is formed and receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. It's a great analogy. And we have probably individuals who are farmers or in the farming industry. And I'm just going to simply say this. If there is a, a, a portion of ground, right, that is unproducible, you go up there every day and you scatter seed on it and you cultivate it the best that you can. You do whatever it is that you can do to produce a crop. And constantly, time and time again, you go back up there and no beans grow and no corn grows and no whatever it is that you're planting grows. What are you going to do with it? If you're wise, you're going to declare it, it's worthless. This land will not produce a crop. 
Therefore, it is to be burned. And that's what the author is saying. But also know this. Land that drinks in the rain. If you have your Bibles and you like to mark them up, if I were you, I would, I would highlight that part right there. Active participation in the supplement that's being given. Drinks in the rain. The rain comes. The land soaks it in actively. Will produce a crop. Useful for those for whom it is formed. Receives the blessing of God. So lovingly, I want to just ask you this question again. Are we cultivating our soil so that our roots grow deep? in our faith with Christ. The other thing that I'd like to share is just this quote, and I think it helps us understand essentially why these verses are here and why the author places them here as a warning, but it also assures us that those that are in Christ who are true believers in Jesus cannot lose your salvation. This comes from the Gospel Coalition. It's an article. Basically, the question, it's simply this. Does Hebrews 6 teach you you can lose your salvation? And this is the portion that I think aids us in this understanding. The preacher assures his readers that when God made his promise to Abraham, he swore an oath to show the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. We who are Abraham's heirs have God's promise and oath to assure us that his promised salvation is our sure hope. A sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. And don't miss this because that's verse 19 and that's next Sunday's message. The preacher expects us to take heart both to the urgent warning against the final departing from Christ that we see here in verses 4 through 8 and the admonition to assured confidence in God's promise and that's what we're going to see essentially in verses 9 through 20 okay without any whisper of contradiction warning but for those that are in Christ, we're like, okay, we get this. This is to stir us forward. But it's also to wake those up who are in the fro, but not of the flock. He doesn't admonish us to doubt the inheritance that God assures us by his sworn oath and promise. God regularly uses warning and consolations or threats and promises together to secure us in the way of salvation. It is a warning within the assurance of those who are saved. And if you continue to read on the latter part of chapter 6, you will see that demonstrated. But for today, the question we need to ask is are we cultivating our soil so that our roots grow deep in our faith with Christ? And then he continues on in verses 9 and 10. 
And this is where we begin to see the encouragement, the transition, the change. Even though we speak like this, okay, notice this. Even though we speak like this, even though I'm telling you that there are some out there who have tasted of the Holy Spirit, who have tasted of the Word, okay, but are not in Christ, even though we're speaking like this, now let me encourage you. That's what he's beginning to say. Dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case. Right? But good news, don't worry, don't be afraid. Things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped with his people and continue to help them. And so the next aspect that I want to encourage us in is this. May we be encouraged that the Lord sees and cherishes our work and love for others. Now, I want to be very careful here. This is not speaking to works-based salvation. That's the other error that individuals see. They think, oh, okay, well then, if I am not able to lose my salvation, it's pretty obvious that I have to work myself to it. And that's not what's being stated. This is already saying you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the evidence of that salvation is, is that you are working in your faith. You are exercising your faith because you have it. And the joy of this is knowing that God is not going to forget your work and the love that you have shown him. Have you helped his people and continue to help them? Let's take a minute right now and let's, let's pause on that. How many of you at times are working for Christ and things are hard? Anybody have opportunities where they've been working for Jesus, they've been doing things for God, and life is tough? And you're sitting there and you're thinking, is God even there? Does God even care? Does God even know? Does God even want to see what it is that I'm doing? Is this even worth it? This is the verse that you hold on to. This is where you say, God sees what you are doing, and he will hold on to it, and he knows. And the reason that you're doing it is because you have been saved, and you are a child of God, not because you are trying to become one. Do you see the difference? It is not works-based salvation. That's why this passage is so challenging. There's kind of two big potential trip-ups. Number one, can I lose my salvation? Number two, therefore I must work for it. And neither of those are true. You are saved by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. And praise God for it. Christ has done the work. No more needs to be done. That is all of what we have seen in the preceding chapters. And also what then will be solidified in the next chapter, 7, as he's compared to Melchizedek. But what he is saying is this. Are you in the fro? Are you here today looking like someone who knows Jesus, but you don't know him at all? And then he turns to those who are in Christ. And remember that they're being persecuted Remember the context of why this book is written. People have followed Christ. It's been about 30 to 35 years since he's died. 
was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And time is moving forward and people are being persecuted for their faith and they're saying, is it worth it? And so to go back and encourage those that are in Christ, he says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your possessive. Okay? Your case. Those of you that are in Christ, we are confident of better things in your inclusive case. Exclusive of those who are not in Christ. And then he speaks to the subject. Things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. I've said it before and I will say it again. If you are asking, how do I know if I am saved? My first response will not be, have you prayed the prayer? Now the prayer is important. But the evidence of your salvation isn't the prayer. The evidence of your salvation is the change action after having come to Jesus Christ. How has God changed your life? How is your life different? The fruit will demonstrate your salvation. Not just mere placated words. And then he continues on in verse 11. And he says this, we want each of you, okay, to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your, show, your hope sure. And I've said it before, brothers and sisters in Christ, your walk with Jesus Christ is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And how often do we see people get excited about Jesus, sign up for the race, get in, right? They run about 10 feet and they say, oh, that's not for me. And they bail out. They were never in the race in the first place. And so what the author is saying is, show the diligence to the very end. Now I know, and I get, that there are some months, some years, when we are closer to Christ and we are further from Him. I completely understand that. Even in my walk with Jesus, there are moments when I'm on fire for God and there are moments when I'm going, God, man, this is tough. But let me continue in this analogy. I have never run a marathon. Has anybody ran a marathon? Anybody here? Okay, we used to have a couple of people that did. What I know of a marathon is this. The hardest miles are like 17 to 22. Because you're far enough in that you're like, yeah, I want to get there. But you're not close enough to the finish line. And you're kind of going... And just to help you to know how long a marathon is, it would be running from here all the way to a Dell High School and then around the track another mile. I don't know about you, but if I started there and about eight hours from now, I'm just turning on 169 south and you guys are driving by going, hey, 
what are you doing? I'm going to be like, I don't know. Can I get a ride? And what the author is doing is he is saying, keep running. Keep going. Which you will find he leads to in the end of Hebrews. Keep running the race. Keep persevering. Keep moving in your faith. So at the end, your hope is sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who, okay, watch this, through faith and patience, put that in bold, okay, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Cross the finish line. And so in these verses, what I'm encouraging us, or what, what, I, what I want us to see is verses 9 through 10, may we be encouraged that the Lord sees and cherishes our work and love for others. But then in verses 11 and 12, may we persevere with faith and patience as we inherit the promises of Christ. And I'll explain that in a minute. I want to go right here to verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Later on in this book, we're going to turn to chapter 11. And that is known as the great hall of faith. And you're going to see all the big guns of scripture, okay? All of the big doers and shakers of the Bible are in there. And they're all listed because of what they accomplished. Now you should be telling me, no, no they're not. As much as they accomplished, the reason that they are listed is because they walked by faith. And if you look at every single one of them, yes, maybe they did great things for God, but also every single one of them struggled and every single one of them had a hard time and every single one of them had days where they were broken. Yet they ran the race and they persevered by faith. He's setting that up to drive to the final element to encourage the believers to continue to persevere and to do so by faith to ultimately cross the finish line. And so lovingly, will you continue to run that race with faith and patience to inherit what has been promised? We've spoken before about the already but not yet aspect of our faith. We have all of the promises. We've been given all of the promises. They are ours. We possess them already, today, if we are in Christ. But not yet. And the not yet is either our death in this world and our life in the next, in heaven with Christ, or Christ's second coming and establishing his, his kingdom. The already is now. The not yet is we are not 
departed from this world and Christ hasn't come again yet. And so one of the things that I think is interesting, and I, I think it kind of summarizes this, right, very well. Jonathan Edwards, an American preacher and theologian, part of the Great Awakening, lived from 1703 to 1758. Great founder, essentially, kind of a, a, a founding father of uh, the, the current Protestant tradition that we're in, says this. The way to heaven, okay, we all want to get to heaven, right? Hopefully, prayerfully. The way to heaven is ascending. We must be content to travel uphill, though it be hard and tiresome, and contrary to the natural bias of our flesh. That's exactly what's being summarized here. We all want to get to heaven. We all want the easy road to heaven. We, we all desire just to kind of do our thing and just walk in that door. And our flesh tells us we just kind of want to ride it easy. But what the author is saying here and what Jonathan Edwards says is that we must be working toward that goal. We must be putting effort in the salvation that we've been given. And it will be tiresome. And it will be hard. And it is contrary to the natural bias of our faith. Have we taken the time to ask ourselves, are we growing in our faith with Christ? Are we still drinking milk or have we moved on to solid food? Are we willing to leave the elementary teachings about Christ and grow deeper in our faith? Are we cultivating our soil so that our roots grow deep with our faith in Christ? And brothers and sisters, if we are, then may we be encouraged that the Lord sees and cherishes our work and our love for others. And then in that, May we persevere with faith and patience as we inherit the promises of Christ. What I want to leave you with this morning is simply this statement, and that is this. May we desire and put forth effort to continue to grow in our faith as we patiently await to inherit the promises of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for you. We thank you for the writing in Hebrews. We thank you for its logic. We thank you for its warning. We thank you for its assurance. And Father, this morning I just ask that we would sort of look into our hearts and just ask a very simple question. Are we growing in our faith? Lord, I pray that today for those that might be newer to their faith in Christ, that they would not be discouraged. Yes, you are drinking milk, and that's okay. But Father, I pray that as we continue to walk with you, that we would go back and say, Lord, are we, are we still drinking it? Are we moved on to solid food? Are we wanting to move on to solid food? And Father, in that, may we recognize that when we do, our hearts are for you. Father, as we've looked to, may we not become concerned that it's possible that we could lose our salvation. Father, may we know that when we've genuinely come to Christ, we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. But Father, may we ask that question. And Father, also, may we know that we've been saved by grace through faith. It's because of what Christ has done and the finished work of the cross that brings joy to our salvation. But because of that, Lord, may our hearts desire to bring glory and honor to your name. May we want to work for you and your kingdom. May we look at it as privilege and a joy to be part of the kingdom that never ends. 
Father, may we desire, may we put forth effort to grow in our faith as day by day, week by week, year by year, decade by decade, century by century, we patiently await your promises. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. We ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.